For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. difficulty and the laptop cuts out, we will come back with a phone. So um, please be patient with us. So good morning. Um, It's great to be here with all of you and it's great joining us in addition to the nine of us who are here in the Forest Preserve. And it's a very blustery day in the Forest Preserve. I've noticed, and perhaps you've noticed too, that things are blowing away. Um, so we're, if you can't hear me at any point, please raise your hand. I wanted to talk today about, the well, I'll start with the title. The title of my talk was, was going to be Warm Hand to Warm Hand, which is a saying that we, that we maybe you have heard that describes how dharma, the dharma or Zen is handed down through the ages, warm hand to warm hand, person to person, one person to the next person. While that's not strictly 100% true in the case of our um, earliest ancestors, there has been that continuous, um, maybe, I mean, as the ancestors are written, it may not be specific, you know, this person to this person, but there has been a way that the Dharma has been kept alive, and that has been from person to person throughout the ages. And I think, you know, that we hear the, we hear the phrase warm hand to warm hand, and, and it's supposed to convey something about the teacher-student relationship, but I think that it is even bigger and more essential than that. And I think that that is something, it's something that's become very, very important to me over the past year, because I have to admit that until we were on Zoom for quite some time, I didn't realize how I was um, not prioritizing the Sangha and the hierarchy of, you know, like taking refuge in Buddha, taking refuge in Dharma, taking refuge in Sangha. I was until, you know, it wasn't possible for any of us to show up anymore. Um, one of the things that I've learned through my job is, and maybe you all have experienced this too, when you're working from home, you don't really run into anybody in the hall anymore. You can't hop over into somebody's office and ask them a question. You can't, um, you know, there are, you, you don't get the feel of how people are in a, in a small curated Zoom world. And that is something that we did have at Ancient Dragon, and we do have Anytime that we're together, we can, we have, we've done wonderful things together. We've done, you know, so much zazen and, um, you know, 
most interested the idea of the, the Dragon Happy Hour, and we have, um, you know, seminars and, and our weekly lectures and discussions together, and yet we don't get the opportunity to just get, you know, some of the novels that we get from being around each other. So I really want to talk about the, mostly the importance of Sangha and, and even teachers, Zen teachers as part of Sangha. You know, relationships are, are just so important and they're not just important within, you know, a Zen lineage. We are, we're, we're social beings and we really, you know, come to be who we are within our earliest relationships, you know, up, up to the present day. We're, we're constantly being shaped by our relationships. Um, and so I'm going to read something from the early Pali Canon. This is one of the, the discourses of the Buddha um, called Samyutta Nikaya. And I'll try to read this slowly in case it's hard to hear with the wind blowing around. So I have heard that on one occasion, the Blessed One was living among the Shakyans. Now there is a Shakyan town named Shakara. There, Venerable Ananda went to the Blessed One and, on arrival, having bowed down to the Blessed One, sat to one side. As he was sitting there, Venerable Ananda said to the Blessed One, this is half of the holy life, Lord, admirable friendship, admirable companionship, admirable camaraderie. So Ananda said, this is half of the holy life, admirable friendship, admirable companionship, admirable camaraderie. And the Buddha said, don't say that, Ananda. Don't say that. Admirable friendship, admirable companionship, admirable whole of the holy life. When a monk has admirable people as friends, companions, and comrades, he can be expected to develop and pursue the noble eightfold path. And how does a monk who has admirable people as friends, companions, and comrades develop and pursue the noble eightfold path? There is the case where a monk develops right view, dependent on seclusion, dependent on action, Dependent on cessation, resulting in relinquishment, he develops right resolve, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. Dependent on seclusion, dependent on dispassion, dependent on cessation, resulting in relinquishment. This is how a monk who has admirable as people, as friends, companions, and colleagues, develops and pursues the Noble Eightfold Path. And through this line of reasoning, one may know how admirable friendship, admirable companionship, admirable camaraderie is actually the whole of the holy life. It is in dependence on me as an admirable friend that being subject to birth have gained release from birth, that being subject to aging have gained release from aging, that being subject to death have gained release from death, that being subject to sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress, have gained release from sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress, and despair. It is through this line of reasoning that one may know how admirable friendship, admirable companionship, admirable camaraderie is actually the whole of the holy life. And there's a note on my translation that says that 
as a different verse points out, this means not only associating with good people, but also learning from them and emulating their good qualities. And so Buddha says that we, it's actually a two-pronged effort. We do develop the qualities of the Noble Eightfold Path, and we do ease our suffering partly through our quiet sitting, our, our seclusion, our, our relinquishment, but that we also do with, you know, and that is, that is the importance of Sangha. It's, it's a, it's a, well, increasingly rare and wonderful thing to have the opportunity to meet with people who are also trying to cultivate the Buddha way in their lives, you know, and, it, and it's, um, it's an atmosphere that can engender trust and confidence and, um, and the ability to know oneself and see oneself and see others and give each other feedback that is so helpful. You know, I, I think that it's very easy in our, in our lives, in our culture, and especially, I think, through the last year of the pandemic, to get the impression that Zen is about, um, you know, discipline and effort, and, and it's a solitary practice, and it's something that we do on our cushions. And that's not wrong, but it's equally important what we do together with each other as Sangha. Um, And because those, because, partly because those qualities are difficult to cultivate on our own, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that. You know, when we, when we practice together, online, yes, but especially in person, we can really, you know, feel each other's support and how important that is. It's, I know that um, well, we have, most of us at the all-day sitting are doing this for, I have done it before, but we do have, you know, a, a, a newcomer or two. And, and I think that we all remember what it felt like to do an all-day sitting with other people. You know, it's so hard to do that just by yourself, to, to have, hold the space and to hold the discipline. And so we all are really helping each other, no matter how long we've practiced, how many times we've done this, we, we're, all, we're all helping each other to do it again. So, you know, our earliest relationships with our caregivers, maybe our parents, you know, they, they, they model for us what it means to be a human being. We see how the people around us are engaging with each other and maybe, maybe cooperating with each other. Um, and we, we become like that. Our earliest caregivers are also reflecting back to us an image of who we are and what we are and where we are in the context that we're in. So, you know, there's a, like the example of a toddler who touches a stove and gets burned, you know, and maybe the, they're crying and their mother comes and the mother provides some soothing, you know, for that, for that painful experience reflects, you know, oh, you hurt yourself. So, so the, the, the child has words, 
for that experience. And it's not just a, you know, an experience. And, and then maybe give some instruction like, yeah, the stove is hot. And then over, over time, we learn through that context about, about, you know, being comforted, about comforting others, about um, how we feel internally when someone reflects that back to us, um, about maybe what our motives were even. And then, and then we also learn about like, when is the stove hot and when is the stove not hot? There's, there's all kinds of things that come from learning these relationships. And, and I think that it's the same for practicing together as a Sangha. You know, we, we learn feelings of kinship with each other and, and, and maybe acceptance of each other. And, and as we begin to develop, we, we also experience concern for our fellow Sangha members. As we start to develop our concern for others, it helps us, and, and acceptance of others, sometimes that can help us to accept ourselves a little bit more. Maybe there are, um, or, or vice versa, you know, as we come to accept ourselves, we find it maybe easier to open to the experiences of others. And so we're constantly nurturing each other along. And these, these, these experiences cumulatively over over periods of time, you know, people practice together for periods of time. They can help us to let go of our maybe tightly wound egos and maybe expand our comfort zone. You know, we, we do in practice have to practice with letting go of our attachments and letting go of our personal preferences, but we don't have to do it all at once. You know, that's the, we, we do it a little bit by a little bit, and um, that's and and we encourage each other together, and and so by in that way we expand our comfort zone, and then our comfort zone gets bigger. So, well, no, I'm I'm going to leave that go. Um, so, you know, according to this sutra. In order to develop these wholesome attitudes and behaviors within ourselves, we actually need to put ourselves in the presence of others who are enacting those wholesome behaviors and attitudes. So so we develop good spiritual friends. Somebody once told me that, you know, if you want to learn to play tennis, you have to play against somebody who's better than you. And that, that implies that there's a teacher and a student, but... But I mean it that way. I mean that we are, we're all learning from each other. Maybe um, there's somebody who is really good at remembering, you know, when to bow and then somebody, and then, you know, somebody else is remembering, you know, okay, we need to do this. And, you know, we think especially when we haven't had the opportunity to be together in a, in a space very much over the past year, um, you know, we can, we can forget the cues. We can forget that, you know, okay, yeah, we, 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 we bow three times, you know, we bow before offering incense and then, you know, do the sutra opening verse. We can, we, we need to, you know, we, we remember things together. Um, I know that, that our doan asked for some cues, you know, to, to brush up and has been doing a wonderful job. And so we, we have to, we, we remind each other of things. Um, something in addition to that, though, 
that we can do for each other as Sangha is to see and hear each other. So aside from, you know, enacting the forms, um, you may have had the experience of seeing someone else do something that you found irritating, or maybe someone else do something that you found, you know, inspiring. And it took a little while before you realized that like you're doing the same thing yourself, you know, and, and sometimes, sometimes we can, we can, the things that irritate us most in other people are the things that we're doing ourselves and don't realize. And, you know, that's just, that's a natural part of being human. We, we can, it's easier to see things sometimes in others before we can see them in ourselves. But, you know, as we practice, we, we grow in our ability to see and understand and integrate those aspects of ourselves so that eventually we can we realize, oh, yeah, I do that too. Well, I understand why I do it. Maybe it's not so annoying if, if this other person does it. And, and so in doing so, you know, we can maybe come to give each other kind and helpful feedback about things that we, we didn't know about ourselves. Sometimes the feedback that we get isn't so kind and helpful, or it doesn't, it, 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 it doesn't feel kind, but maybe it actually is helpful. And, and that's hard, too. But, but I think when we, when we have a Sangha relationship, we, there is a commitment to, to continuing to hang in there with each other. And, and maybe we can give you know, that, that person some feedback about like, hey, your, your comment was really helpful, but it wasn't really that kind. You know, maybe you could say it this way and I would be able to take it. Um, but but that's, that's a little bit about, you know, part of how we, we come to grow together. You know, this process of seeing each other and reflecting and responding, not just reacting, but, but actually thoughtfully responding and taking in and integrating, you know, that's all part of the practice of Sangha. I know that the Taigen, many of you have heard Taigen describe Sangha as a rock tumbler where we are like you put rocks in a tumbler and they're just, you know, rolling around and they smooth out each other's rough edges. And this is how we think we wear down our own rough edges. I was struck when I went to the January intensive at um, Green Gulch Farm. I went, I attended online um, and it was interesting because at the end of each lecture, every day, there was a certain amount of time for people to deliver comments and people would um, make a, some kind of comment and be, enter into a discussion with Reb. And one of the things I heard him say was that he has a reputation of being good at seeing people. So he said, yeah, you know, I, I've gotten a reputation for being really good at seeing people. And... I, he said that, and I thought, yeah, yeah, that's that's what it is. You know, it's we 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 want to be seen. We sometimes find it scary to be seen, and sometimes we don't want to be seen quite so well. Um, but but we but we all want to be seen, and and in this relationship of sangha, we can come to see each other. You know, and and see our. Selves. And, and that quality, um, you know, particularly with, with feedback that's very skillfully delivered, I think that's, that's part of the hallmark of years of practice is that we, we have that, that, that practice of um, 
taking in information and, and delivering some feedback and, and reflecting on, oh, I didn't realize the way that, you know, I did this and it impacted someone else or they did this and it impacted me and now I have to find a way to tell them that. So, you know, our, our teachers can help us see ourselves, but we also can see each other. And we can also help to come to see our teachers more clearly, too. That there, There's that saying from Suzuki Roshi that, you know, good teachers make good students, but good students also make good teachers. You know, we, we one can't exist without the other. And doing zazen just by ourselves on our cushions um, is helpful in some ways. It gives it, we can reflect on things, but, but the practice of Sangha sometimes gives us things to reflect on and, and helps us reflect on how we want to be in the world. So, so we can think to ourselves, you know, how can we reflect other people's behavior back to them in a, in a skillful, kind, and helpful way? So, you know, the purpose of my talk today is really to just raise this question and maybe have a discussion about how we can be this kind of good spiritual friends to each other. You know, the, the point, it would be easy to feel, um, you know, when we practice in seclusion, that the point of practice is to, you know, do everything properly and um, to, you know, relinquish everything things and let go and, and um, maybe let go of thoughts. But, 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 the, but, the, but that's not quite the point of our practice. The per- point isn't to just do all the forms correctly and be able to spout, you know, profound things. The, the point of our practice is, um, in my opinion, how we engage with the world off of our cushions. It's not just about what we do on our cushions. What, what we do on our cushions helps us for sure to engage with the world off of our cushions because it gives us time to slow down and to reflect and and take stock and and just be with ourselves, see how we feel. But our practice, hopefully, you know, is helping us to cultivate compassion and wisdom and skillful means and appropriate effort and an appropriate discipline, you know, letting go when that's appropriate but also holding on when it's appropriate. You know, we're, we're, that's, that's, that's part of what we, we have to discern in the world is when, when do we hold on to something and when do we let it go? When do we um, really need to focus on an outcome and when do we go with the flow? So Buddha says that we can develop all these qualities by relying on Buddha as a good friend in this sutra. But I think it's also okay, okay um, to rely on any of his many representatives. So <laughs> we, we can all be representatives and, and we can, you know, rely on each other. Knowing that none of us is infallible, none, none of us, including our teachers, are, are not infallible. You know, we, that's, that's part of our practice too, is to take in that feedback that we get from someone and to reflect on, you know, is this accurate? Is this appropriate for me at this time? Not to just give it all over and say, well, they must know um, more than I do. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we do see something that someone else is not aware of. But the person who's seeing it doesn't really know, you know, what the meaning of that behavior or speech or or attitude might be to that person and what might be 
you know, what the importance of that is to them. So they, they don't know what you should do with it. You know, all, all we can do is point out to each other. You know, I, I noticed this. Um, but it's up to each of us individually in our own reflection and practice to decide what, what do we do with that? Um, so we can trust each other, but we can also be lamps unto ourselves, you know, as, as Buddha also instructed. So my hope is that we will, we already have, but I hope that we will still be able to continue to find creative and responsive ways to develop our sangha in, in, in whatever form that might take to help with our own healing as well as the healing of the world. That's part of what we are. I mean, healing in the sense of becoming whole, you know, helping, helping the world to be whole, helping the pieces and people and experiences not to be just pushed off to one side, but helping us to be whole together. So with that, I will bow. And um, Paula is going to be our technical person here, um, and she might be able to help with questions. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start by seeing if there are questions within the pavilion group. Or, or not questions even so much as just things to discuss. And then if there are, if there are things that people want to say from Zoom, um, Paula may have to repeat them for, for all of us. We'll try to, try to work it this way. So thank you, Bodhisattvas. Please discuss. In case it's helpful, Hogetsu on the Zoom channel has a question. Yes, may I speak? Please do. <laughs> so thank you very much, Asian, for uh, bringing us together as a community in virtual and non-virtual space. Um, as you were speaking, I mean, you said so many wonderful things, but as you were speaking, I wondered about how this fits with, because we are always in community, whether we perceive it or not. And I wondered, like, how will we use the pandemic and our experience of isolation as we return to in-person uh, communality or communion? So that is just a thought I had. I had no answer, but I'm sure you will. <laughs> Did everybody hear that? The question? Okay. The question from Hogetsu was, how do we use our experience of isolation through the pandemic when we, when we, as we start to come back together? And honestly, I don't know if I have any answers or, or even thoughts um, it's, I think the thing, the thing that stands out to me the most is the importance of finding a good way to include both 
um, the studio audience and the viewers at home. Um, and that's hard. I think that uh, having, um, you know, finding ways to include both, I think is going to be really important for us. And having a microphone on the laptop or a, or maybe actually what I meant is a louder speaker on the laptop so that, and, and maybe a better microphone, maybe, maybe, maybe better, just more professional equipment in general um, <laughs> would help the participants here feel more connected to all of you there and, and vice versa. Cause none of you there can see the wonderful Sangha that we have here. Now so we, I'm going to just go around. Now we can see everyone. Hello, Bodhisattvas. So, um, so that's important. But, you know, it's also, it's important. I think it's going to be important to create some forms around that because we... We want to preserve that feeling of tranquility and ease in Lizendo, and forms help us do that. You know, form, forms help us know where we're supposed to be and when, and we don't have a form yet for including um, the, 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 in combining both. So, so hopefully we will have some forms. Eric's got an idea. Thank you. I, I'm just Jerry, I'm going to interrupt you for one second so I can repeat it. <laughs> because I'm going to lose what you said. Um, Jerry was observing that she the forms in person, um, that, that at home um, it's easier to fidget around, I think partly because we all have our mics off, so nobody, and, and nobody's looking at, directly at you, so, so you, you don't see um, what's happening. But so now tell me the second part. I also think that I'm more aware that individuals who can sitting with me Yeah. Unless I actually take the time out of the actually work at every time and it's easier today. Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes you just don't have to. Yeah. So. It's a different way to interact with each other. Yeah. So the. She was saying that the forms themselves are different, but it's also a different way to interact with each other. She, Jerry feels more aware of who's, who's practicing together um, in person because you can just see people out of the corner of your eye, whereas on the screen you have to pay attention. And if you are joining by phone, as I sometimes have been lately, it's very hard to see um, more than three other people at a time, period. So, Hogatsu, do you have ideas? Well, the ideas always arise in this consciousness, of course. Um, I can just share personally as I asked the question and then, of course, answered it myself, too. 
So I was I was thinking about um, that the seclusion and lack of physical contact also allowed me to see the limits of my perception. Like we are all together in community on some level, but I don't always remember it. So if I have a screen with three people, I see three people. If I have a screen with 10 people, I see 10 people. And so reflecting on that, for me personally, I felt it's a softer feeling of inclusivity. Like I'm happy to see people in person, which we've been doing in sewing class and some other venues, but also there's a a real humility in realizing how easy it is to feel separate and also on the flip side, how we're always supported and connected, even if we're not aware of it. So I've just been, you know, that's been one gift I want to bring back to uh, a busier and more interactive personal life um, and practice life. So, um, and also how do we, I think, you know, the sense that you're saying, like, how do we have forms that actually reflect that inclusivity? So I, I, I appreciate your comments, Tuation, and everyone's comments. I'm sure people have a lot more to say. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So the main part of what I took from what you were saying was that being isolated in, and practicing together over Zoom, actually, um, you, feel the, you feel the isolation more, and it's hard. You don't always, you know, it's it's more like you have to really remember that we're all here together and that we're all practicing together. I notice that when I can't see someone moving on screen, you know, if I, if I just see their name or if I just, if it's a static picture, there's always a part of me that doesn't really believe they're there. <laughs> and, and I, I, I don't mean that as a criticism, all of you that I can't see, I, I do believe you're there, but it, but I, but it, it kind of like, I think what Hogetsu is saying is I have to remind myself that, yeah, you know, that's, um, and, and that's, that's, that is a helpful practice. That's helpful. I, there's a way in which I can't really put it into words, but it does actually translate into being with people in person that, um, it's just a, 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 maybe a recognition that we don't know necessarily what each other are thinking or feeling or, or what, what our experience is. Um, but we take for granted that if we're all here, maybe, you know, we're all feeling the same thing or thinking the same thing. And, it, and that's not true. So recognizing the individually and individuality, I think is what I was getting from. Yes. I have a, a, a follow-up to that. And I, I want to quote Tygen, if that's okay with Tygen. Um, when we first started meeting at the Cynical, I would um, give a report of how many people were in the Zendo. And Tygen would say, did you count all the beings who weren't on the cushions? <laughs> and this was, this was a practice I thought of as we were sitting, as I was sitting allegedly alone. So maybe, uh, and also you and I are speaking as one now because you speak for me to the Sangha at your pavilion. But anyway, that's my follow-up. Thank you, Aishan. Thank you. Well, I hope I, I, hope I um, spoke accurately for you. And in fact, I hope I spoke accurately for everybody that I spoke for. Um, but that is that is one of our one of our limitations. 
Yeah, and there are beings not on our cushions who are here and, and influencing us. And uh, thanks for the reminder. Other other thoughts that are coming up? Dylan? Uh, I think one of the silver linings from the pandemic was many of us uh, really got to uh, uh, steep in the reflective aspect of our lives a little bit more um, and uh, be able to observe you know, it's time to make a change in this area. Like, I don't want, you know, maybe I have to like, leave this job, do this job, or I haven't really yet, maybe it's time to write. Uh, or, you know, this this happened, uh, and it's is, it is, uh, is, is an example of uh, racism or sexism, and it's time for me to go out into the streets and protest. Uh, I think the pandemic it's gave the us... Problem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that's the first part. Okay, but the pandemic gave you a recognition of, of priorities. Well, I think a lot of us, did. you know, that, like, yeah. that, that sense of because we're alone, we have that reflective, that time for reflection, and we can carry that forward. Um, that, like, that's something we can take into the post-pandemic world, that we are in charge of our own ability to see how fast we want to take things in our lives, you know? Be ready to make changes in the practice when when it's time to act. To like to take that time for ourselves, and we don't have to move as quickly. And things are going to start turning and be like, you know, show up to the show that we hear all the time. But like, we can still take that time to decide what's right. you're muted right now. Okay. Um, thank you. So was everyone able to hear Dylan? Uh, not fully. If it will be, it would be helpful if you could repeat part of it, I think. Hi, hi everybody. So <laughs> what I was saying was that um, during the pandemic, many of us got the opportunity to uh, steep a little bit more, you know, like a tea bag in, in hot water in our reflective capacities. Um, and I think uh, that, that, Gave a, gave a lot of us a, a chance, not everybody, but a lot of us a chance to make some decisions about, you know, I haven't done this creative project yet. It's time for me to do that creative project. Or I've been doing this job for this long. Now it's time for me to do this job or, you know, make those shifts. Uh, and also, so, and I mean this socially as well, that like uh, when, when there were emergencies, social emergencies about racism or sexism, that um, I think that, that, and that enhanced reflective capacity made it possible for people to be out in the streets in a um, more unified and stronger presence. So I think that's something we can take with us as the pandemic ends uh, or hopefully ends or as things return to normal or whatever the new normal is going to be, is that we're each in charge of that for ourselves 
about having that kind of um, reflective capacity to take things at our own time, at our own pace, to make those decisions about, you know, uh, that even though the world is going to start speeding up now more, that we are still able to um, uh, take the time to process. And there's, um, when there's an emergency happening, you know, socially or uh, to, to respond appropriately um, or to, to read about it, to learn the context. Um, and also in our personal lives about, you know, if to have the, the, the time and the courage to um, reflect on whether this is the, the path you want to be walking or, or you want to be going into, you know, do a new thing if it's time for a new, a new project. You know, so we can we can keep that mentality, I think, those of us that were lucky enough to cultivate that. Other thoughts? I can have a thought. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say um, that I, I feel like this coming up is going to be a very creative time. So some of us are working on and actually all of us will be working on finding a new permanent and then maybe some temporary places to meet in person uh, and um, sit together like you all are sitting out there with Asian. But also we're very much committed to maintaining the Zoom interactivity at the same time. So here on the Zoom, I see people from who are in Illinois, but outside Chicago. There's somebody here from Indiana. There's somebody here from uh, New York City. And there's somebody here from Sweden. I think when we, so when we have a, a physical space where we can sit together and enjoy the aspects of Sangha practice that Asian was talking about, where we actually feel each other together. Also, at the same time, we will have a Zoom presence. So those of you at a distance, will be able to see us and we will be able to see you. And we're working on their, their various technical, technological um, at, uh, ways to work at that. And sanghas all over America are experimenting with that and will benefit from all these experiments as we find our, our physical space. So I just wanted to say that. And I think, it's an, it's an opportunity to sit together, as Asian was talking about, but also to have this wider awareness that, uh, oh, there's Ashley in Indiana, there's Eva in Sweden. You know, we're, we're, we're together in, um, with many, many beings. So in the same way that um, Hogesi was saying that when we're sitting together in a physical space, we also... Um, maybe don't know, but can be aware that there are many other beings here, we will have a, a, a wider sense of uh, what community is. So this, uh, anyway, I think, it, I think we have this, uh, you know, part of what happened in the pandemic is that we all learned to change our way of being in very radical ways, to be quarantined to whatever, to whatever extent you have been quarantined. It's going to be helpful as the world continues with climate crises and whatever, to be to to have the experience of changing how we are going beyond our habit patterns, 
in our comfort zones, as Asian was saying. But we, we will be doing this together in a very wide way, I think. So I'm looking forward to it, but it's going to be uh, maybe awkward and strange in some ways as we learn how to do this. So thank you. Thank you, Tigan. You know, I neglected to say something that I really wanted to say um, as part of my talk, which was because I don't, well, I don't, I'm not sure how I want it to sound, but I, I think I also wanted to mention um, the importance of seeking each other out. You know, we, we can, we can have phone calls or, you know, we can, we can talk together one-on-one on Zoom and to find people to talk with about your practice, people that you can develop a trusting relationship with. It does not have to be a teacher student relationship. It could be, you know, student, student, you know, we're all, we're all students. Teachers, teachers are are just students who've been students longer. Um, But Find people that you can talk with, and and if you can find a couple people near you who might want to sit together, you know, whether no matter no matter how far you are or you know where you might be, find a couple people who might want to sit together once a week, um, in person, but but also find people that you can talk about and share your practice with, and and develop maybe a a, a trusting relationship with, um, and. And, and, and a mutual relationship as an, um, another important part of continuing our sangha in the ways that we can. That's one that, that could work virtually as well. Dale has a comment. I'd just like to share with, with the people who are here how, how natural this feels, what we're doing right here in this Horse uh, preserve. Um, I, I'm reminded of Buddha meeting with his disciples in the woods. It just it feels very good. Maybe maybe Sangha could do more of that. Thank you for the endorsement. Um, <laughs> we, you know, I want to point out though that we we had a Dokusan tent set up and um, it blew over. As, as our tents tend to do. So we may be having Dokusan at a picnic bench out there in the woods. Um, we're, we're, you know, we're just, we're just, we're doing our best, the best we can. If it was raining, we might be having Dokusan in the truck. I don't know, but um, we were, we're all, we're all just finding the ways that we can and, and holding on to the things that maybe are important about, about practicing together. I think Jerry wants to say something. I was just going to say that one of the things about being on Zoom is there are people I've sat with on Zoom that I've never met in person that I feel close to. And there are people I feel like I could reach out and talk to them via email or phone if I wanted to. And I've never met them, you know, and there's, but they come regularly either to a Wednesday or a Monday night or a, a session I've been at. And it, it's kind of nice to think that the Sangha could expand and that really the whole world is the Sangha in a way. And it just makes it, it's, it's just, it's just lovely to have, to realize that there are people in Kentucky or Michigan or wherever they are that you could just, or, you know, South America or wherever they are that you could just reach out and talk to them if you wanted to discuss something or say, follow up on something they said in a discussion or whatever. 
Representatives are everywhere. Yeah, representatives are everywhere. Non right. I can't tell. On, oh, Sunyu's got a hand raised. Uh, I, I feel like the whole topic feels very relevant to my uh, recent reflection. I've been reflecting upon how the period of seclusion has or isolation has meant to me uh, because I just moved out of Chicago and I'm currently in Philadelphia living with my sister. And uh, yes, and uh, and um, I lived by myself for a whole uh, more than a year. And uh, I find that I guess it's part of the uh, meaning making mind that's uh, that's trying to find, okay, what has that period of uh, experience or suffering, quote unquote, suffering, there was only enjoyment for sure, uh, has meant to me. I find that, um, and then I, as I'm living with my sister right now, I find that there are concrete things I have uh, actually changed when staying by myself. For example, uh, I learned a lot of new recipes and I... <laughs> I cook pretty, uh, I, I learned quite a, quite a few good dishes that I can share with other people that I, uh, explored. And meanwhile, uh, there was also, um, I found that I've been establishing some good habits because I live by myself and I'm limiting my activities. I find that I really need to set good routines for myself. And also I do need to wash dishes like right after I uh, after I finish eating because dishes don't wash by themselves. And um, so I find that all of these, like, you, these are like really unique experiences and I'm not sure if they will be replicated. Um, I don't know, maybe in the future, but not hopefully not in the short term, but th these are all that I find very concretely how pandemic has changed my life in a, uh, in a, I guess in a good way, we can call it like in terms of changing me, my habits, habitual patterns and things like that. That is really fascinating. Um, I think everybody here heard sing you also. It's it sounds like it's really given you the opportunity to have a lot of time to reflect and a lot of time to observe yourself. It's, it, it almost sounds like you've been doing a solo retreat for a year, Singu. Um, it, it feels like that sometimes, but probably a little better because of Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's been uh, kind of a respite. But uh, yeah, that's, you know, but you also had a practice started before you went on this, on this solo retreat. And so that gave you maybe part of your, your, you know, purpose and, and ability and, and support with reflection. And, and our zoom sangha also gave you some support with reflection over the year of being by yourself. And now here you are, or there you are. Certainly. I, I constantly find myself, my mind having this encouragement that all of these are, are just like retreat and they are here to uh, create changes and bring changes to me. And, and it has been the case, uh, just like what I thought. Very interesting. Thank you.
Is there anyone else in either of our worlds? The ad has his hand up. You know, it, I, it's been said that the family that watches TV together is the family that stays together. And so with the new Sangha, when there will be maybe a TV in there, it's going to give this special dynamic between the physically present and the electronically present. I remember when speaker phones were first invented and we'd, all, we'd, we'd put the phone on the, on the coffee table and all sit around and talk to the departed family member as a group. And it created this sort of really interesting unity among us as opposed to the phone, which was speaking to us. And so I think, I think it'll, be a, it'll be a fun development. Yeah. You said the family that watches TV together is the family that stays together? Yes. That's, well, we, we, can't, we can't unfortunately all watch at the same time. But, uh, but, but I know what you mean, the family, especially with early TV, the families gathered around the television and, and talking about the program and, and, you know, what they thought. And we can do that. We can do that with, you know, about our in-person or distant experiences. But that's a great analogy. I know that I'm, uh, as uh, sort of host, really experiencing difficulty moving between in-person and um, remote at this very moment. It's hard to feel like I'm giving either group my full attention because you're only really yeah, each getting, like, yeah, you're only getting half. my half attention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, okay. Ashley, did you have your hands up? Uh, yeah, I did. Um, can you guys hear me? I can. Can other people hear Ashley? Okay. See, Ed, I heard it was the family that prays together, stays together. So that's how you know I'm from Indiana. Um, and I was actually just going to say, uh, Asian, thank you, obviously, of course. Um, I was going to say, and I guess maybe this could be a, a good closing statement if if you're done. Um, I was just going to say, what have you learned um, in the past year? Like, what has surprised you the most about Sangha and um, and the pandemic? Um, like, like what has surprised you the most um, over the over the last year of the all the changes and just going from being in person to being online to now we're kind of kind of going back to being online. I don't know. Like, yeah, what do you think? Are you asking me? Because I'm going to actually probably, I'm going to ask everybody. Um, oh, okay. Go for I'm it. Gonna, I'm going to ask people here to think about that. If what has surprised you about going online and, and, you know, what, you know, honestly, the thing that surprised me the most has been, the very different feeling I have ever since we left our space. I, I mean, not, no, actually not since we left our space, since we let the lease lapse. Um, we weren't in ancient dragon for nine months before we actually left. You know, we were, we, it was still there. And 
ever since it's not been there, I have really felt its absence, even though I hadn't gone there, you know, except, you know, to pick something up for nine months. I am shocked by how important that having that place was for me and how um, really like distressing it is to drive down Irving Park Road and have it not be there. So that's, oh. that's what I've noticed. Um, what, what have you noticed? Are you asking me? Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, oh, God. Well, okay. So, I mean, technically speaking, I kind of like dropped off the face of the Zen planet for like a year. Um, I don't know if you like noticed or not. Um, so I mean, <laughs> so I, so I mean, for me, I kind of like, wasn't even here. Um, you, you were there. So no, no, you were. I mean, <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, well, first of all, so, you, you were there wherever it is that you are, but you also, you also were in I our was. mind. I'm wondering, yeah. I'm wondering where you were. Yeah. Kind of like, kind of like our Sangha building, you know, yeah. there's a, there's a space, there's an Ashley shaped space that wasn't filled for <laughs> a while. Um, okay. So, I mean, what, do, what have I noticed? I mean, it, it people are not, I mean, yeah, oh, thanks guys. I mean, the thing that I noticed was that we don't need a building. I mean, that's what I noticed. So, but, but to me, we never had a building. Right. So we, we are wherever we are. I mean, what do we always say? We're refugees. So as long as we are together, it it doesn't matter. I mean, it's nice to have a building. That's a plus, but I mean, as long as I'm with you guys, then I'm, I'm fine. And technically we are, we are the whole everything. So. Yeah, I don't know. As, as as lame as that is, and you guys can judge me, that's fine. But I mean, I and I can reach out to you guys wherever you are. I mean, it. We don't need a building, and I can I can email you. I can message yeah. you. I can call you. Yeah. So that's what I learned was we don't need a building. But I I never had an attachment to the building. So. <laughs> True. True enough. True enough. So it's a little different for me. Yeah. But what do you guys think? What, what what about others? Anybody notice anything from the pandemic? Both. I mean, you alluded to it earlier, but just I, I personally am not sure it's the case. I think I felt missing like uh, informal interaction so much. Like, in, I'm just thinking about it now, where like it's a dynamic in a way between. I I, I really enjoy it, the formal sort of form based aspect of our practice. But it's complemented by the lack, you know, areas or space for lack of form too, and spot, you know, spontaneity. Mm-hmm. So most of the two, mm-hmm. maybe there's there's possibilities for spontaneity and form too, but you know, but and generally in my life I've missed that a lot too, you know, yeah. um, and just body language and possibility to like joke around and like riff. And improvise, you know. Uh, that that's really hard to do on Zoom, and I feel that absence, which is an argument against Zoom, which is yeah. I mean, generally, something to our practice, I've missed interplay between the two. You know, yeah. Zoom, you almost have 
Yeah, so, yeah. It's it's something it's hard, that, it's hard to transmit. Yeah. Thank you. Did everybody catch that? Uh, I'll take that. I was able to catch basically all of it, and I just wanted to say I definitely really miss like our little conversations in the in the kitchen, like at the Ancient Dragons mm -hmm. Gate, like. Uh, and we can often squeeze in a few conversations either at the beginning or end. And it's always a lot of fun, I think. And I really miss that. Yeah, cleaning together. <laughs> I, I really miss the raisins. And so I did bring raisins. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't miss raisins. I can get raisins anytime I want. But the raisins always served a particular function in my mind, which was when you just can't sit for like another minute, you can, you know, go to the kitchen and get some raisins and, and things are going to be okay. So that's, that's yeah. Sesame sticks, right. Water. I, I, we've got raisins today, but they're in individual boxes. So Tygen. Can you hear me You're now? Mute. Now I can. Yeah, so I feel like this creative tension. I appreciated what Ashley said about for her experience where she hadn't practiced with us at, uh, at Irving Park, but has been practicing on Zoom. And, I, and there's other people here for whom that's true. Um, and then there's also the warmth and, and um, the things that are wonderful about having a space where we can practice together. Our, the creative challenge is going to be um, how do we somehow convey when we have a new space, it's going to happen. When we have a new space, how do we convey, uh, I don't know what it is, the je ne sais quoi, the, the warmth of what's happening there. How do we convey that out to Eva in Sweden and mm -hmm. Eileen in New York and Ashley in Indiana and, and uh, dog down in Kankakee. And, you know, I think there's a real, a real opportunity for something creative where we have both this sense of, you know, there were some good, there's some good things about Zoom. We have people from great distances here showing us how interconnected we are and we can see them. And we can, see, I know, I remember Paul Disco saying about Zoom and he's coming to us from California that he can see the faces of everybody uh, whose faces are available more clearly than when you're sitting in the front of a room and there are people out in the other corner of the room. Uh, th so there, I think there are positive aspects of both, and it's going to take some time for us to find the creative way to integrate all of that so that we, we have the sense of being in a place and also being on Zoom and feeling the togetherness of that. It's going to be interesting yeah. and it will be a little difficult. And I hope we don't lose people who are here from Zoom. And I hope we don't, you know, I hope we also have, you know, provide what, you know, what Bo was saying he missed about being physically in a place. So it's going to be interesting and I think we can do it. I, I hope I didn't um, 
come across as not being in favor of Zoom. I, I, I think Zoom is really important, and especially if, if that is what we it's, it's been all we've had really for a year. Um, I think what I what I want, what I hope we can take away from this talk is the importance of finding new ways maybe to convey that warm hand to warm hand feeling, even when we can't, you know, see each other's hands. Except maybe thumbs up. But I think we're getting to where we are needing to wrap up. It's it's almost it's about 1125. So oh Doug, is that are you waving a hand or just waving? Yes, I am. Uh you know, I just wanted to add uh thank you so much. What a great, great talk. And and for people traveling, you know, I'm I'm I have intentions of doing a lot of traveling and I look forward to zooming in, you know, and, and that's, that's going to be powerful in the future. And, and, um, I also, you know, I've been up in St. Paul recently and, um, I look forward to networking with, with other sanghas up there that I think is going to be more positive and, and, and good for our community and our sanghas all over, you know? So I think, I think there's going to be a lot of really positive stuff happening. Uh, we are, we are getting ready to be rocketed. I think <laughs> and, and this is so, so good. Yeah. Thank you. There, there, thank you for that observation. There are representatives everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. So, um, and thanks, thanks, thanks to you all for being here and to, you all for being here. We're we're all supporting each other. I would like us to maybe end this portion, and maybe we could do the four bodhisattva vows together, and then we will continue on with our morning. And you guys can do announcements. Sound okay? Okay. Um, for those who need the chant book, it's in the mobile chant book. Beings are numberless. I vow to them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to end them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's days unsurpassable. I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Karma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. 
I vow to realize it.